good health is a crown worn by the healthy that only the ill can see. Your health really is your wealth. Join us for the next hour as we explore disease and attaining and maintaining good health. This is Dischem Medical Monday, brought to you by Dischem, pharmacists who care. Welcome to Dischem Medical Monday. I'm your host, Dr. Dean Gerson. Thank you for joining us today. Hope everyone is well. And today we are privileged to have Shani Pony with us, who is a registered dietitian in private practice. And uh, we look forward to speaking to her um, on the show. But before we start, knowing your COVID status doesn't need to be costly or take forever. At Discam Pharmacies, can reduce the cost of anxiety and anxiety of waiting for results with the rapid COVID test. Book an antigen test which can determine if a specific virus is present currently. Or an antibody test which in most cases can determine whether you have had the virus or not in the recent past. Book an appointment with Dischem store near you on 0861-117-427. Dischem, a winning mind in a healthy body. Shani Cohen, thank you very much for joining us today. This is Medical Monday brought to you with compliments of Dischem, pharmacists who care. Welcome back to Dischem Medical Monday. Sorry about that. We're having a few uh, technical issues just uh, with the internet. Welcome back, Shani Cohen, who is a registered dietitian. Thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Dean. Okay, that sounds much better. Okay, so we want to speak today about healthy eating. I think there's a lot of sources, a lot of misinformation, a lot of diet, a lot of eating plans. And uh, maybe we can try to uh, speak some truth and see where the conversation goes. Sounds good. Okay, awesome. So just to say you're a registered dietitian, what does that mean? What have you studied and what does that mean? Just so people know what, it, what it, I know there's a lot of people out there who are giving advice on uh, dieting or eating plans or healthy eating. What does it mean that you're a registered dietitian? So in a nutshell, um, a dietitian is qualified to understand and interpret the science of food and nutrition and how it plays a role in the body. Um, so basically we use evidence-based medical nutrition therapy to counsel and manage patients and to almost tailor their therapy so that it meets their individual needs. Um, dietitians can apply their expertise across quite a broad range of settings. So it doesn't just mean that a dietitian is in private practice or in a clinical setting. Uh, you can find a lot of dietitians in research, on the sports field, or even in the pharmaceutical industry as well. Uh, it's, it's quite an important or distinguishing factor between dietitians and nutritionists. I know a lot of people tend to get quite confused and, and use the, t- you know, the two terms quite interchangeably. Um, but they are quite different. Dietitians are qualified to deal with medical problems uh, because we study a four-year degree. We regulate it by a governing body, the Healthcare Professions Council of South Africa. Um, and we do a specific module or subject in university called medical nutrition therapy, which nutritionists don't. Okay. okay. Um, so you are me- uh, medically ta- trained, which is uh, great. Okay. So, what do you see in your in your practice uh, from day to day? What what is the most common thing you see? Why do people come to you? Is it healthy eating and weight loss? I assume. 
So, so yeah, it's quite interesting. Um, I've been on both sides of the spectrum where I've worked in the public health system and where I've worked in private practice as well. And, and you see quite a different um, kind of patients in each setting. In, in public health systems, it's more of an acute setting. So it's more of patients in ICU that need critical care and that need care right now and, and need their nutritional needs based on their critical illness. Whereas in private practice, it's more of a lifestyle kind of thing. Um, so it's more long-term chronic illnesses that we need to deal with. And, and as you say, healthy eating and weight loss too. Perfect. Okay, so let's uh, define healthy eating. How do we know what's right and what a person should be eating? So I always say to my patients, please just go back to basics. Um, you know, the food we eat gives our body the material it needs to function properly. And so if we don't give our bodies the right material, our bodily processes almost suffer and malfunction, and so our health declines too. You know, if we get too much food or poor quality of food, we can actually become overweight or undernourished and become at risk for diseases like diabetes, cancer, heart disease, and arthritis. And so, you know, the term, as cliched as it is, you are what you eat, could never be more true, especially at a time like now with, with COVID and, you know, optimizing our immune system and optimizing all our bodily processes could not be more. Shani, I've lost you again. Are you there? Um, yeah. Okay, sorry, you're just finishing your, your sentence. Okay, so what are the basic foods? And what's the basic foods that we should be eating and how do we know how much we should be eating of them? So it's, it's all pretty specific and individual and tailored. Um, generally, as a general rule of thumb for the general population, what I usually say is use your hand to distinguish how much food we should be eating. So if we break up the different food groups into the three main food groups that we get that are carbohydrates, proteins, and fats, um, I usually say for carbohydrates, if you hold your fist out in front of you as if you're, please don't, but if you're about to punch someone, that's how much carbohydrates you should be eating, the size of your fist, which is quite an easy way to measure out how much carbs you should be eating or how much starches you should be eating. That's like your rice, your pasta, your potatoes, your bread, um, your spaghetti and noodles. Anything that's white is generally your carbohydrates. That's per meal. And that's per meal, so per your main meals. Uh, breakfast, lunch, and supper. And and what I usually say for the proteins is if you hold out your hand in front of you, um, a, you know, a flat hand, the size of your hand and the thickness of your palm is how much you should be eating. And that generally, if you look at your hand, that is about the size of a chicken breast or a fish fillet or, or a thin steak. So that's in terms of proteins. That's like your meat or your chicken or your fish. And in terms of the fats, if you hold out your thumb as if you're giving someone a shut sign, and um, that's the size of the amount of fat that you should be eating. So whether it's peanut butter, it's equivalent more or less to a heap tablespoon, or if you're adding oil to quickly fry something up in the frying pan, that's how much oil you should be using in, in, in your frying pan and when you're cooking. Okay, perfect. And, uh, and But now we know that there's different types of oils, there's different types of protein, there's different types of carbohydrates. Absolutely. Um, and and it's, it's quite difficult to know which one is better with all the information that's out there on the Internet and on the media. Um, as a general rule of thumb, plant-based fats are always better, with the exception of coconut oil or coconut butter. Um, so like your olive oil is better, your canola oil is better. 
And then in terms of the, the proteins, in terms of the meat and the chicken or the fish, I always encourage my patients to eat red meat and limit it to twice a week. This is just because red meat does have quite a high fat content, and so it does or it can contribute to high cholesterol levels and heart disease. And I encourage my patients to eat white fish for the remainder of the week. There's a lot of recent research that's coming out about omega-3s and the role they play in the body and in our brains um, and in anti-inflammatory processes as well. And so they are encouraging that we actually eat about twice a week, which is something like your salmon or your tuna or your mackerel or your pilchards. Okay, we're going to take a quick uh, short ad break and we'll be back after this. Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008. Welcome back to Discare Medical Monday. I'm your host, Dr. Dean Gerson. Thank you for joining us today. We are speaking to Shani Cohen, who is a registered dietitian, and we've just been speaking about portion size and what you eat with portions. You were just saying, uh, Shani, about different proteins. What's the difference? You said wild fish twice a week. Um, what's the difference between white fish and other fish? So white fish is quite a lean fish, uh, which is great yeah. because it means that it's quite low in fat. Um, but as I was saying, there's a lot of research coming out about omega-3s, which we found in oily fish like salmon and mackerel and tuna and pilchards. Um, and that plays quite an important role in any uh, in combating any inflammation in the body. So anyone that has chronic diseases like diabetes or cholesterol or heart disease, they have a chronic level of inflammation. And and the omega-3s will help to come and combat that inflammation. And so that's why we should be including oily fish, um, even nuts or seeds, which also contain omega-3s, in our diet at least twice a week. Okay, so those um, are our uh, proteins. Now let's go into the carbohydrates. How do we know which carbs we should be eating? And should we be eating carbs? You did say we should be eating carbs. So that's We can go into specific, just now specific um, uh, conditions when you wouldn't want to eat uh, carbs. But yeah, carry on. So carbs is quite an interesting and controversial and hot topic at the moment. Um, if you just type in the word in carbohydrates or starches into Google, you'll see a wide array of different articles from different uh, professionals, be it nutritionists or dietitians or doctors, um, and everyone has their own opinion about carbs. So it's, it's quite difficult to distinguish uh, what is right and what is wrong. But generally what I say to my patients uh, to kind of figure out if it's a good carb or a bad carb, just look at its color. So if it's white in color, try and stay away from it because it is purely made up of sugars and, and sugars can contribute to a wide array of different uh, disease conditions. But if it's brown in color, that tends to be kind of the better carbohydrates. And the reason why I say so is because the brown carbohydrates have more fiber in them or they have a higher fiber content in them. And that helps in a variety of different ways. Firstly, it helps with weight loss. Um, it helps to make sure that we manage our weight correctly, that we're not undernourished or overnourished. It also helps control our blood sugar levels so that we kind of don't get that afternoon slump where our energy levels go down all of a sudden. It also helps to increase our satiety. So satiety basically means how full we feel. And um, so if we eat a high-fiber meal, we won't fulfill an hour after. We might only start getting those hunger cues maybe two to three hours after a meal. 
And the other amazing thing that fiber does, specifically soluble fiber, which you find in oats, um, is that it actually helps to control our blood cholesterol levels, which, you know, <laughs> cholesterol seems to be quite a rough problem at the moment. It's, it's something that seems to be on the rise with, with, with COVID and lockdown. Um, so really, really important to increase those fiber intakes through the brown carbohydrates. Okay. okay. So, um, do you want to give us some examples? You said for oats, for breakfast, um, for breakfast, what, like a good carb, are any of the cereals good? What should people, um, be eating for breakfast? So, so definitely number one, as I said, oats. I know it's always deemed to be the breakfast of champions and it truly is. Oats is a brilliant breakfast. Um, especially if you add in a little bit of milk or uh, we usually encourage kids to put in a teaspoon of peanut butter because then you've got your protein element in there. But otherwise, other really good and great breakfasts to have is where you mix a carbohydrate and a protein. So, for example, egg and toast or cottage cheese and toast or sliced cheese and toast or peanut butter and toast. Um, and the reason why I say always combine your protein with your carbohydrate is because the protein will help to keep your blood sugar levels stable. And there's a lot of research, especially for kids or for busy individuals at work, that it helps to maintain your concentration levels, which is something we always strive for, um, especially during the week when, we, when we're busy. Um, otherwise, other good breakfasts that are also high in fiber include any high-fiber brown type of cereal, like all bran flakes or high-fiber, uh, those sticks that you can get. Um, and, of course, avocado, as I was saying, with the healthy fats is also a good breakfast to uh, or element to breakfast to include. Okay. And how do you know you mentioned like egg on toast or peanut butter on toast or cottage cheese on toast? How do you know which toast or which bread we should be eating? So I'm going to stick along the lines of the white carb versus the brown carb. Um, so if we want to stay away from the white carbs, we're going to stay away from the white bread. But if we're going to stay with the brown carbs, we want to eat something that's either brown bread or whole wheat bread, something that's got nuts and seeds that we have to chew in. And another type of bread or variety of bread that's that's done quite well um, and has quite a good light is sourdough bread. Um, just because it's got a low GR, which basically means low glycemic index, which means that the sugars from the bread get released slowly into the bloodstream um, and so that it keeps us, number one, feeling fuller for longer, but number two, also maintains our energy levels. Okay. And uh, I want, uh, so about uh, um, breads again and about low GI, and is normal brown bread fine or, um, or does it, is the sugar high in the brown bread? So as a general rule of thumb, if you're going between white bread and brown bread, brown bread is the better option. However, it's not significantly different to white bread. So I do always encourage wherever possible that my patients do choose the whole wheat or whole grain breads and that do have the visible seeds in there that you have to chew uh, just because it does have a lower sugar content and a much higher fiber content in there. Fine. Okay. You mentioned something like cottage cheese as well, or peanut butter, doesn't matter which ones they have, but um, I know peanut butter sometimes got a bit of sugar in it. Yeah. It's got a bit of fat, which is really, really good. But when we just buying general items, like you said, peanut butters or cottage cheeses, what do we look, what do we look out for on the label to know whether we're buying the right thing or something that's suitable? 
So, so luckily our food companies have started coming on board and becoming a little bit more health conscious. So there are different varieties that are better and some are worse uh, that we can look for. The first thing I always look for in, in a food label is I'll look at the top three ingredients. And the top three ingredients as a general rule of thumb, um, they are listed in order of their components in the food system. So if I can just give you an example, the products are listed um, list the ingredients in order of the weight. So where the ingredient used is in the greatest amount listed first. So if sugar is first on the ingredients list, then you'll know there's more, more sugar in that single product than any other ingredient. So what I say to my patients is look for uh, sugar or fat or salt in the top three ingredients. And if you see it, then be hesitant, okay? Then what I tell my patients to do is move away from the ingredients list and turn over to the nutrition table. Now, this is something that's quite often daunting for patients because there's a lot of numbers, there's a lot of different words that don't really make sense. So I'm going to break it down. If you look at the sugar content um, on the nutrition label, sugar has five letters, S-U-G-A-R, and so always try and look for something that's five grams or less of sugar. It's a nice, easy way to remember it. Sugar has five letters, so five grams or less. And if you look at the fat content, the total fat content, fat has three letters, F-A-T, so it should be three grams. That's how I tell my patients, ignore all the other fancy words, ignore all the other chemicals, um, all the numbers, just look at those three. Sugar, five grams or less, or fat, five, five grams or less. Okay, and it doesn't matter, you don't ever look at the at how many carbohydrates in it, or is that irrelevant, or is that not that important? So if you look at the sugar, that should cover the carbs automatically, because sugar is a carbohydrate. And, um, okay. you know, sometimes you'll, sometimes you'll look at a, at an ingredient list and the carbohydrate content will be quite high, but that also could be because it has lots of fiber in it, which is a carbohydrate. So rather just look at the single I'm going to say bad ingredient, although I don't like using that word. Rather look at the sugar on its own, and, and that should cover it. Okay, awesome. So, uh, do you want to just explain to us? It might be confusing for some of our listeners. You said that sugar is um, carbohydrates are covered in the sugar. Do you want to maybe explain that? Absolutely. So, uh, carbohydrates and types of carbohydrates. The first type of carbohydrate that we get is called complex carbohydrate. I like to explain it that it's complex because it takes a long time to break down in our bodies. It's quite complicated, which is a good thing, not a bad thing. Uh, complex carbs are like any kind of carbohydrate or starch that is high in fiber. So, for example, your brown rice or your whole wheat pasta or your rye bread, that's brown in color. The other type of carbohydrate that we get is simple carbohydrates or simple sugars. And that's like the table sugar that you get that you can add to tea or coffee or use when baking. And that's the bad sugar. That's the one we want to try and stay away from as much as possible. So, so as a general rule as well, the World Health Organization tells us that we should have less than 10% of our intake during the day should be of sugars. Um, so I generally try and encourage my patients to not add any sugars to their foods. Uh, just because there's already added sugar in our foods that, that is almost hidden and that we don't know about. Um, and so that will kind of cover our intake for the day without us adding anything ourselves. Okay, just on that, uh, speaking about uh, sweetened foods, 
Are there any uh, sweeteners or artificial sweeteners or non-nutritive or uh, what else? What other word would you use for it? So non-sugar sweeteners that you would recommend that people use that are healthy and safe if they yes, do want to uh, add something to their food. Artificial sweeteners, they're a little bit up in the air at the moment. If you look at some research, it does say that it can cause cancer, but some research but that's mainly That's mainly with the... Um, aspartame and phenylalanine, yeah, okay. Yeah. So I always generally recommend sucralose to my patients. That's deemed to be a safe sweetener. Xylitol is also a great sweetener to use, particularly when you're baking um, any kind of ingredients and you want to make it sugar-free, then you can add xylitol to it, and it it, it makes the, the baked good kind of the same texture as, as normal sugar would be. So those are usually the two that I normally go for. Um, stevia is also quite safe to go for. So there are options around. Okay. Now, what happens when we see uh, food or drinks that say sugar-free? Is that always true? It might not have actual sugar in it, but it's that still it doesn't necessarily mean that they're not fattening or they're not uh, healthy for you. Exactly. Um, those are particularly more like your dairy drinks. Um, where you might find some sort of milkshake that says that it's sugar-free. Um, it might be sugar-free, but it might be loaded in calories. You know, it, it's sometimes very difficult to win with food products because a long time ago the food companies knew that sugar was bad for you, and so they took all the sugar out, but then they tasted the food product, and it didn't taste as good. So what did they then go and do? They added in lots of fat. And they don't have to necessarily mention that on the product because now they've said sugar-free. And so it can be quite deceiving sometimes um, that even though it might be a sugar-free product, it not, might not necessarily be healthy for you. So when we look at a sugar, how should we decide for ourselves? What should we look on the labels when we see that it says sugar-free? So go back to my rule where sugar is 5 grams or less or fat is 3 grams or less. Generally, the fizzy drinks, um, they are not too high in calories. Um, but it, it, as I say, it's more the dairy drinks or the energy drinks that can catch you off guard and cause weight gain. Fine. Um, all right. Now, once we're talking about those things that say sugar-free, what happens when they say fat-free? Does that necessarily mean that it's a healthy thing or not? So that's where, again, the food companies get quite clever. So <laughs> they take out the fats. And they say it's fat-free, they taste the product, didn't taste so good, and then they load it with sugar. But they don't necessarily tell you that it's loaded with sugar. Um, so, again, it's so important to read those food labels and be conscious and mindful of what you're taking off the shelves and what you're putting into your body. Okay, perfect. Now let's go on to different types of diets or eating plan. People need to, people who want to lose weight, I'm sure all of us want to lose weight, the majority of us want to lose weight. Um, medically and scientific based. I'm sure there's a lot of fads and a lot of trials out there, a lot of dangerous things that people are trying. Besides um, what we've mentioned now in uh, eating the correct types of foods, what else should we be on the lookout for if we want to lose weight? So this is one of the daily struggles that each and every dietitian faces. And, you know, we have to be an advocate for healthy eating and, and also be a defender, almost like a lawyer, um, against all the misinformation that's out there and, and teach our patients how to identify what is good information and what's bad information. I usually say to my patients, if it sounds too good to be true, then it probably is. 
You know, if it sounds too extreme whereby diets are cutting out entire food groups or um, making you eat single food items only, then then try and stay away from that because then you'll be missing out big nutrients. So, for example, um, a low-carbohydrate diet, it will work to make you lose weight. If you cut anything out, you will definitely lose weight. Um, but then what is the implication on your health? If it's a low-carb diet, then you might not necessarily be getting in enough fiber. Um, and I'm sure there's listeners today that have been on a low-carb diet. Um, and one of the biggest side effects is constipation because we're just not getting in that fiber from any of the carbohydrates. We're cutting out fruits and vegetables and all those whole wheat products. If it's a high-fat diet, then it has its own problems because we're having too much fat in the diet, and that's leading to diseases like heart conditions like heart disease or um, even arthritis. In fact, I was speaking to a urologist the other day, and he said during the time where everyone was jumping on the bandwagon of high-carb or low-carb, high-fat diets, he was seeing an increase in kidney stones. So it's so important to be mindful of of the different foods that you're eating. As cliched as it is, you know, we need to eat a balanced diet so that we get foods from all different nutrient groups. Sure. Okay. Okay. Um, So what do you advise then? We stay in all groups, but how do we lose weight? So number one, I have to say, see your registered dietitian, find a registered dietitian in your area because they can make something that's tailored towards you. There's a whole bunch of factors that we need to take into consideration when creating a meal plan for you. Such things like medication, um, you know, are there different drug nutrient interactions that we need to consider? How active are you? What's your physical activity levels like? How do you sleep? What are your stress levels like? Also, things about your lifestyle, like your working conditions. Are you in the office? Are you at home? Can you take a lunchbox with you? Are you eating at the cafeteria? Uh, These are all things that we need to take into consideration and and make individual, tailored advice to each and every patient. Okay. Um, You've spoken a bit about uh, portion control um, and speaking about the size of your hand and and your thumb, would that be for uh, all meals, breakfast, lunch, and supper? Yes, definitely all meals, breakfast, yes, lunch, and supper. And by following that rule, you can make sure that you are actually getting in all the different food groups that you need. Okay, perfect. We're going to take another short ad break, and when we get back, I'd like to talk about in-between meals. We'll be back now. IFM 101.9 megahertz of life. This is Medical Monday brought to you with compliments of Discam, pharmacists who care. Welcome back to Discam Medical Monday. I'm your host, Dr. Dean Gerson, and we've been to registered dietitian, Shawnee Cohen, and we've been talking about all things healthy eating. Shani, how do we stay full in between meals? Or what do we snack on in between meals? Should we be snacking on in between meals, things in between meals? Again, it's, it's quite an individual thing and also depends on different disease conditions like diabetes. Um, for some people, snacks work. For some people, it just doesn't. Um, I'm a snacking person, so, so I'll give you what I normally snack on. I always say, please try and include at least one snack as a fruit. Um, we generally should be eating fruits every day, and, and the rule is that we should be eating at least one to two fruits a day. Um, if you look at the shops, 
Uh, you'll notice that our fruits that we're getting nowadays are quite big. So I say a big fruit can count as two fruits. Otherwise, two small fruits is fine. Try and include, and I usually tell my patients mid-morning, have a fruit. And the reason why I say so is this is usually when we're busy at work, and so we don't really have time to stand and make anything. It's just something that's easy on the go and that you can grab, and that's quite convenient. So that's always a good option to go for. Otherwise, another good option to go for, especially in the mid-afternoon, when everyone's getting home from work and you're starting to feel a little bit peckish and it's that awkward time before dinner and you know you can't really eat anything because dinner's coming, but you're really hungry. I normally say to my patients, go for something that has a little bit of protein in there. So whether it's a small yogurt, whether it is a boiled egg, or whether it is even just a small piece of toast with a little bit of peanut butter or cottage cheese on it, that will be where your protein content is. I know the mid-afternoon is usually everyone's weak point. Um, you know, you get home, you're now finally starting to think about food and your brain starts playing tricks on you. That's when you go for something. So that when you get to dinner time, you're not ravenous and that when you eat dinner, it actually satisfies you and you're not still hungry after. Okay. Should we be having snacks after dinner? A little bit controversial. Um, some dietitians say don't eat anything after 7 p.m. I'm quite a little bit more lenient and a little bit more liberal. And I say, if you're hungry, yes, absolutely. Um, I could not think of anything worse than going to bed hungry at night. So definitely something small, but of course we need to make sure that it's the right options. I know it's sometimes easy to go for a bar of chocolate or a packet of chips, um, but definitely try and make sure that you have healthy snacks on hand, whether it's a little bit of dried fruit or fresh fruit or a little bit of nuts, or as I say, a boiled egg. Try and prepare ahead of time and meal plan. I always encourage my patients on a Sunday, just take an hour out of your day and prepare what you can ahead. Put it in a little containers, the and keep it so that you know during the week you absolutely sorted. You know, if the bad food is there, you're going to eat it. If the healthy food is there, Okay. Sonny, can you hear me? I can hear you. Sorry, good. Okay, I thought we lost you, uh, lost you there for, for a moment. Um, just regarding fruits, are there any fruits that we should stay away from? I know some fruits are higher in sugar than, than, uh, others. Um, I think, I think all fruits have a place in our diet. Um, I generally tell my patients specifically that are diabetics. Try and stay away from grapes, especially because they do have quite a high sugar content. But if you're not worried about our blood sugar levels or anything like that, then any fruit is good to go for. And I always encourage my patients to eat a variety of different fruits and eat a variety of different colored fruits because each color has their own nutrient. You know, vitamins and minerals are stored in the skin of fruits. And so each color, if it's orange, it's vitamin C. If it is purple, it's vitamin K. If it is red, it's vitamin A. So make sure that you're getting all the different colored fruits in your diet just to make sure that you're covering all your bases in terms of the vitamins and the minerals. But in short, there aren't any specific fruits and vegetables that we need to um, stay away from. But I would definitely encourage eating a variety and not eating the same ones over and over again. Okay, perfect. So uh, do you want to maybe just elaborate? You, you obviously will have to integrate your medical knowledge and um, with different diseases such as diabetes to give um, people uh, eating plans 
that will not uh, well will improve their condition or actually not exacerbate it or make it worse. What are some of the main comorbidities that are you seeing? You've already mentioned, mentioned diabetes. So, so diabetes is a big, big one. In fact, it's actually the leading cause of death at the moment. Um, cholesterol, particularly over the COVID season, has has been on the rise, and I think it's related to poor diets, but also, um, you know, being sedentary at home and sitting on our couches or in front of our desks, in front of our laptops all the time. The other one that's on the rise is kidney disease, chronic kidney disease. Um, and I, I usually don't see one without the other. You always see a variety of different diseases. So you'll see a patient with diabetes, with cholesterol, and with elements of kidney disease. Or um, another one that's on the rise is high blood pressure, um, which is also due to a variety of different things. Number one, due to um, a lot of individuals being overweight, um, a lot of individuals not partaking in exercise as much as they should be, and, of course, stress as well. Okay. Um, um, what kind of foods would you say for uh, people that are leading a stressful lifestyle, which is probably everyone at the moment? Are there such things as stress-relieving foods? You know, we have comfort foods. Um, what's your opinion on that? Absolutely. So your fruits and your vegetables, all the vitamins and the minerals will help to kind of control all the neurotransmitters, all the neurons in your brain, um, which will help to alleviate some stress symptoms. I know it's it's often one of our weaknesses that when we are feeling a little bit stressed or emotional, we tend to go for comfort foods that are often foods that are quite high in sugar. Um, and that actually tends to do the opposite thing. Instead of it making us feel better, it actually makes us feel worse. Our energy levels go down and so we feel even more stressed. So try and stay away from those sugary foods. I know as tempting as it is and as much as the brain is telling you that you should be going for those sugary foods, try and stay away from them and go for more your fresh fruits and vegetables. Fruits are also quite high in their own natural sugar, fructose, and so that should satisfy that sweet craving or that sweet tooth. One thing that I always tell my patients that I know lead stressful lives and lead busy lives is it's not actually what you eat always. It's also sometimes how you eat it and how you prepare it. So as I said before, I always encourage my patients prepare ahead of time. Write down a list of what you're eating on Monday, what you're eating on Tuesday, what you're eating on Wednesday. That way during the week you don't have to even think about it. It's all sorted. Go to the shops once a week which is probably what is better for COVID as well, you know, not going to public places too much. But go to the shops once a week. Go to the shops once a week and get all your groceries for the week. Then you don't have to worry about going to the shops after work during the week. You can go straight home and prepare what you can ahead of time. For winter, a great one is to just do a whole uh, batch of soup, keep it in the freezer, and just take out as you need. And you can do that with any food. I always encourage my patients at dinner time, make a little bit extra so that you've got leftovers to take with to work. Then you don't have to worry about making lunch. These are all time-saving things that will help to also manage your stress levels above and beyond what you actually eat. You just mentioned uh, soups. How would soups be counted? Are they soups a meal in themselves? Depending, um, on, depending yeah. on the ingredients that you use. So if it's a pure vegetable soup, then you'll just count it as a vegetable. But if it's a chicken soup where you've got like shredded pieces of chicken in and you've maybe got a little bit of noodles in and you've got your carrots and your onions and your celery in there, then that could be a full meal depending on your portion size. 
another nice alternative to go for, and um, I've become quite a big advocate for meatless Mondays. If anyone follows me on social media, you'll see I, I posted a baked feta pasta today. Um, I always encourage my patients to go for meatless Mondays, but sometimes it's a little bit difficult because we're not too familiar with, with vegetarian foods. And so a soup is an easy one to go for there because you can add in lentils and beans as your protein and then load it with vegetables as well for a healthy kick. Okay, good. Okay, I'm going to take out final ad break. We'll be back after this. IFM 101.9 megahertz of life. This is Medical Monday brought to you with compliments of Discam, pharmacists who care. Welcome back to Discam Medical Monday. I'm your host, Dr. Dean Gerson, and we are speaking to Shani Cohn, registered dietitian. And you touched on something that I wanted to bring up at the end. You spoke about meat free Monday. Become very yeah. fashionable or maybe I shouldn't say fashionable, very popular that people are becoming vegetarian or vegans. And uh, so maybe you can just tell us about some meat alternatives and uh, what uh, replaces the meat or the protein, and uh, are they healthy? Are they good for you? So you're 100% correct. Meat-free Mondays has become uh, quite a big thing at the moment. In fact, there's a lot of research that really points towards plant-based diets being quite a healthy alternative. Um, personally, I like my chicken and my fish too much, so I don't go completely vegetarian, but some do, and it, it might not even be health reasons, it might be ethical reasons too. You can meet your, meet your dietary needs, like your protein needs, through a vegetarian diet. You just have to make sure that you're eating all the right foods. So a really, really good alternative to meat, chicken, or fish is all your beans and your lentils. They're a great alternative because they're low in fat, they're high in protein, and um, they've got a high fiber content as well. So that's at least where you're getting quite a lot of fiber and whole grains in from there. Another alternative for, for, um, for meat or chicken or fish is, uh, something like tofu. I know a lot of people aren't too familiar with it and, and cooking it can be a little bit difficult. So that's where I encourage patients to go onto YouTube, use what you can and, and find out how are people cooking it, how it works best for you. And um, do you put it in the oven? Do you put it in the frying pan? And then there's also another variety of different foods uh, which you can find in the frozen section, like meat-free patties or meat-free sausages. And they yeah, are I most. Know these are, I mean, yeah, sorry, sorry, carry on. I interrupted you. So, so the meat-free patties and the meat-free sausages and the meat-free schnitzels—they are mostly made of beans and lentils, but they also contain quite a bit of soya as well. Um, I know soya can be a little bit controversial. Um, a lot of individuals worry that it will mess up with your hormones. Um, but there isn't enough research to, to definitely say that it will. Um, so that it can be a healthy alternative, but of course how you cook it is also quite important. Try and, you know, shallow fry it with not a lot of oil or put it in the oven rather than deep frying it. Okay. And uh, just when you look at those, we'll follow your rules at looking at the ingredients, at the sugar and the carbs, because I'm measuring even though that they are meat-free, they can be uh, full of uh, alternative, well, alternatives or sugar or fats that they put in. Or is that not the case? 
absolutely, and, and in the fat, they do sometimes seem to put in a lot of chemicals and preservatives just to extend the shelf life of the product. So these are definitely things that we need to be more aware of and, and start checking the back of all the food products and, and reading up a little bit more just to become more informed consumers. Okay. The last thing I want to speak about is you met, mentioned uh, shallow frying. If we are going to fry foods, what should we be using? There's a lot of stuff that goes around. Um, some people love margarine, some people love oil, some people love butter. What should we be using if we do need to fry something, would like to fry something? I always encourage my patients to use um, very little oil in the pan. I always encourage my patients when you are going out and buying frying pans, try and get the non-stick frying pans. That way it will be easier to clean afterwards and you won't feel the need to use as much oil. Uh, but another great product on the on the market is, is something like spray and cook where you just spray a thin sheet um, of olive oil or canola oil, depending on which one you buy. And they, you know, you know, because it's just a thin spray um, that you're not using too much and you're not overdoing it. Okay. Um, which oil uh, is the healthiest? With a loaded question, a controversial question. <laughs> so definitely go for your canola oil or your olive oil. Try and stay away from the sunflower oil. Uh, try and stay away from the coconut oil, the coconut um, butter. And, and the other thing I encourage patients, which is really an important note, um, try not to use oil over and over again. Use oil once off, get rid of it, and you use a new batch of oil. This is one of the biggest problems with takeaway foods is when you're getting the chips and when you're getting the fried chicken, they're using the oil over and over again. And by using oil over and over again, it develops something called trans fats. And trans fats are really unhealthy fats that can lead to diseases like cancer. Um, so definitely once off, no more than that. Okay, awesome. Um, where are you based and how do people get hold of you if they would like to make an appointment or speak to you further? So I'm based in two different locations. I'm based in the Sanchez side in Ravonia at a practice called a really good therapist center. And I've also just recently opened up my second location in Norwood on Iris Road at a really lovely medical practice called Life on Iris. Um, so if you want to get hold of me, I encourage you to go look at my social media pages, go onto Facebook and type in Shani Cohen Dietitian or go onto Instagram and also type in Shani Cohen Dietitian and give me a follow. Okay, that's awesome. Shani Cohen, registered dietitian. It's been awesome uh, chatting to you for the past hour. It's really fun. Past, thank you for joining us today and thank you for giving uh, your time and expertise. Thank you to all our listeners for joining us today. I hope everyone is staying well and staying safe. And we will please God see you next Monday at 10 a.m. This can Medical Monday. Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008.